Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome everyone to another episode of Revolution Recap. The Revolution battled to a frustrating 0-0 draw in their first ever meeting with Nashville SC. Despite outshooting Nashville 17-3, New England struggled for clear-cut chances throughout the match and ended up leaving two points on the table with another home draw. I'm Greg Johnstone. Joining me today is Sean Donahue. Sean, how's it going? Good, good. I mean, after a very boring game last night, I was excited to wake up to some Tottenham Hotspur 6-1 victory over Manchester United. Um, so that made my, my weekend a bit better. <laughs> I, I mean, you're, you're kind of going in there already. I, I've been giving you 20 seconds to talk about Tottenham. I feel like you've already used five of them. Do you have any other additional thoughts or any other gloating? You want to just get it out of the way at the start? Because it's probably a lot more interesting than talking about the Revs today. Following that up with a 7-2 to loss by Liverpool to Aston Villa was um, a pretty exciting day. And I think the Premier League is wide open this year after after today. Certainly crazy times, and if you look at the table, it's uh, certainly upside down. Um, you you got to love the first few weeks of the Premier League when the table is all shuffled up, and uh, this year is no exception. So, Also joining us today, uh, we brought in some reinforcements to talk about this thrilling 0-0 game. Chris Creighton of BelieveInBostonSports.com has joined us. Chris, thank you for joining the podcast. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. Doing all right. I'm actually on the other end of that 7-2 winning of uh, Aston Villa. I'm an, Ever- I'm an Everton fan, so Liverpool losing oh. is a, an amazing thing for me. Yeah, you, you're in first place right now, so that must be exciting. It, it's great, <laughs> honestly. Yeah, when you said you were on the other side, I thought you were saying you were a Liverpool fan. I was about to give condolences, <laughs> yeah, but it's, no, no, yeah, no. no it's, <laughs> this is a great day for everyone except for Liverpool fans, so... Well, um, unfortunately, enough talking about the Premier League. we got to get into this nil-nil draw. It's another frustrating result for the Revolution. And again, it's uh, really due to a lack of offense, uh, a lack of rhythm. Chris, since you're the new guy, we'll throw you into uh, the deep end of the pool here. Why don't you start us out and give us your key takeaway from last night's match? Tejon definitely is a hot spot of last night. It was, uh, you know, that, that great dribbling cut move that he, he made and then that volley that he made. It was, it was honestly great right off the bat. And he's, I mean, he has been the possession pretty much master for the past few games. So, uh, you know, it's it's good to see him continue to do that. But, I mean, we, we got to get goals out of him. It's awesome to see him get that goal. But we, we had a few chances out of him. He actually had more chances than Bo shot shots on targets so it's definitely interesting to see him him almost kind of take over that role of getting the shots on target yeah and and you you know you can't really blame the lack of offense on Taeyeon Buchanan um it's kind of strange that you know this guy that I don't think a lot of people had pegged as a uh, routine starter for the stretch of the season as early as last month, including me in that category. Uh, he's kind of the guy that is, I don't say carrying the offense, but if you look at his numbers from last night, he had seven shots, three on target, including two shots that, that I would say actually maybe three shots if you include his uh, header from by. He didn't get a whole lot of effort on it, but he had three shots that easily could have gone in. Three shots that were blocked. He only had one shot that was off target, and that shot was an absolute rocket. Uh, passing accuracy was 78%. He was 30 for 40 in the game, 10 for 14 in the attacking third. And I believe he had he was not dispossessed at all throughout this game. He had five ball recoveries. He was three for five on take-ons, and he had one uh, chance created. Uh, one for five on crosses is really... The only real bad stat that jumps out at me, but overall, Taeyeon Buchanan had a really, really solid game. Uh, he's growing, it seems like, every single week, and you're right, Chris. Um, you know, you'd expect uh, uh, Gustavo Bo to be the guy that gets seven shots uh, off in a revolution offense that's desperate for something going their way, but instead it was Taeyeon Buchanan really putting the team on his back and doing everything he could to um, get that extra goal. Sean, when I get you in this conversation, what are your thoughts on Taeyeon Buchanan, and what are your thoughts of his development over the past couple of weeks? Yeah, I mean, I think with with Christian Pania kind of struggling this season, they've really needed somebody to step up 
uh, other than Gustavo, but especially with Carly's heel out. And, you know, I didn't expect it to be Chejan Buchanan. We've talked about it a lot over the past few weeks, but this was just another game in his development um, where he ended up with seven shots. Um, I don't think anyone would have expected that going into this season, that there'd be a game where Tejan Buchanan was going to come out with seven shots. Uh, but he really was the leader of the offense in this game. He was a guy that was creating things. I didn't think Lee Wynn had one of his best games since coming back for the Revolution. Um, Gustavo Bo, obviously, I didn't think he had one of his best games for the Revolution. Uh, so, the, you know, the, the catalyst for the offense in this one was, again, Tejan Buchanan. Um, and I thought he was really good at that role. It wasn't good enough for the Revolution to get a goal out of it, but... Um, you know, he, you certainly can't blame the offensive struggles for the revolution in this game on him. Uh, you know, the dribbling skills from him, the shots, everything is getting better game by game and you can tell the confidence is growing. So he's been a you know fantastic asset for the revolution that, you know, just a month ago, I think we were questioning whether or not he deserved playing time. Real, real quick, Sean, cause we did get a question about Tayon Buchanan. What would bring his game to the next level? That was kind of the main question. What are some things, Sean, that you would like to see? Because you mentioned he's developing and he's getting better and better over games. What are some things that you think Tayon could develop uh, or what, what could he do to kind of take that next step? The biggest thing for me right now is better finishing, which you could say for a lot of guys in this Revolution team. But, uh, you know, Tejan had seven shots in this game. He you know put several on frame. But even the ones that were on frame, I, I think were too easy for Joe Willis. He had a lot of shots that were right at him. Um, and we saw that in some of the other games, too. There was the, you know, I, I forget which game it was where he had two headers um, off of set pieces that, you know, were pretty powerful, but were right at the goalkeeper. Um, and we've we've seen a lot from that, a lot of that from him from Tejan Buchanan. He's, he's done better at putting the shots on frame. Um, but now the placement needs to get just a little bit better and make it a, just a little bit harder for the, for the goalkeepers. Because I don't, uh, you know, the Revolution had five shots on target in this game and, and Joe Willis had five saves. But I don't really think... Um, other than Tejan's, maybe the, the first shot, the shot from distance that was pushed over, I don't really think that uh, the revolution um, in general or Tejan specifically tested Joe Willis enough given the chances that they created. So that that's the biggest lacking part of his game for me. The you know Additionally, I think he can get a little bit better at crossing the ball. Um, I don't think we've seen enough of that out of him. Um, but you know he's developed so much in the other areas of his game that there's nothing to say he can't continue developing and, and add those two aspects to his game. Yeah, and I would I would just add there was one play in the 46th minute where there's a through ball to him and he he runs and he hits a bit of a bit of a heavy touch and it goes out um, past the, the the goal line out for a, a goal kick and those were some, kind of some touches we saw a little bit earlier in the season from Tayon, um, but it seems like we are we're seeing less and less of it and so I I think just on all accounts he's getting a little bit better in every single area game by game certainly some you know crossing obviously is an issue and you know certainly finishing uh that i think the header w- was one that um you know he, he had a wide open header on target and he really didn't get a whole lot of you know power behind it and willis was able to tip it over the bar but for the most part a, a month ago he was scuffing shots left and right uh he, he's now at least getting some decent power on some shots and you know showing off some dribbling skills and is showing off some some a little bit better ball control skills so i think he's getting a little bit better in each area and if he keeps developing at this pace uh he's certainly an exciting prospect to uh watch uh chris did you have any other uh, anything else uh, you want to talk about Tayon and anything else you're excited in, in looking for in his development yeah uh i actually it's kind of a somewhat negative but he his runs his uh off the ball stuff he he does make some decent runs but there's some areas where people are looking for him to make a run and he'll, he won't quite make that perfect uh, kind of looking for where the actual player that he's bouncing off of wants to put it. But Bo Bo actually in the game last night had a perfect one where he was literally standing there waiting for him to go through. It's certainly something that as I say, Tayon is in his fourth start now. And so you'd like to see those things, kind of get you know smoothed out four starts in uh maybe it'll get a little bit better over time but overall i, I think certainly very promising things from Tayon. you know he's still a work in progress I, I wouldn't call him a superstar just yet uh but for a guy that got i think one minute under bruce arena last year uh, in 2019 it's really exciting to see him back on the path for development in 2020 and not just a uh, forgotten about uh asset and I, I think i saw someone too i should have uh, done this before on the episode, but I, I believe someone somewhere mentioned that uh, he was slated to move down to uh, Revs 2 with uh, Justin Renex earlier in the season. For whatever reason, they decided to uh, keep him up, and it's a good thing they did. So, uh, Sean, let's get your key takeaway from uh, yesterday's 0 0 draw. Yeah, I mean, my, my key takeaway is almost taking back some of the things I've said in the past podcast, and that's really that even though the revolution have found a new style, 
um, with Lee Wynn back and that they found a way to be able to you know, be a successful team in possession, they still haven't solved their offensive problems. And I think that was apparent in this game. Um, you know, Nashville came in looking for a 0-0 draw. Nashville was a team that was missing you know, several key players. They were you know, pretty decimated lineup. Um, from Nashville. And this was absolutely a game the Revolution should have gone into, taken initiative, and, and gotten three points. But Nashville came in looking for a 0-0 draw, and the Revolution you know, never really looked too much like breaking them down, despite those 17 shots. Um, I don't know that there were any real clear-cut chances that you you know, you know really thought the Revolution should have put away that they didn't. Um, there were a lot of half chances, a lot of you know decent chances, but you know, they didn't really create that great chance that that you know was an absolute sitter, um, and of course they didn't put away any of those half chances they had. So, um, you know, I don't think the offense has quite figured out how to break down a team that takes that defensive posture. There was a lot of comments after the game from, um, you know, the the players that were interviewed that um, they expect teams now to come into Gillette and kind of take that defensive posture. They've seen it a lot. You know, Nashville's not a really good team, um, and the Revolution couldn't find a way to break them down. So that that's really re- troubling for the Revolution. Uh, we know in the past that they've done well. You know, as a counterattacking team and creating that way, um, there was some hope based on the past two, two games that as a team in possession, they would be able to score more goals. But, I, you know, I'm starting to think that that was more of a, you know, lucky mirage thing that they're going against a D.C. United team that wasn't very good um, and a Montreal team that wasn't very good and, you know, managed to put five goals away in those two games. Um, but I think maybe what we saw against Nashville was a bit more indicative of where the revolutions still are. And that's that they still don't really know how to break down, um, you know, a team that's ready to sit against them and looking for a draw. Um, so I think Bruce Arena still has to go back to the drawing board and, and find some solutions there. Uh, you know, I thought Lee Wynn could have been the answer based on the past two games, but, you know, he had a week of rest before this game or you know, six days of rest. And I, I didn't think he was as effective um, against a very compact Nashville team as he was against, you know, maybe a less organized D.C. and Montreal team, um, a D.C. team that certainly we've seen since the Revolution game has not figured anything out and is you know struggling mightily against just about everybody they play. Um, so. You know, we, we were ho- hopeful and positive on last week's show, and I think I'm back to being you know, negative about this Revolution offense and, and what they can do when they're um, facing a team that's compact like Nashville and, and you know, trying to just get that shutout. Yeah, it, it's I actually kind of disagree with you a little bit, Sean, because there were some plays that I, I thought the Revs, I don't want to say got a clear-cut sitters, um, but the play with Gustavo Bo where he ends up shooting it over the bar, um, he, you know, he had a shot inside the box that you expect him to at least get on frame. Uh, Brandon by had a cross to Teal Bunbury that Bunbury hit over the bar. Um, you know, the, I, I know Tayon, the cross from Pania to Tayon, um, looks like the first shot was with his left foot that, uh, was blocked and the second shot that was onto Willis. Um, so there were, there were a few plays that I thought, you know, the Rebs did create something, but overall when you have 66% of the possession and the other team is clearly indicating that they were playing 90 minutes of defense. You want more than two or three things off the top of your head as, uh, you know, <laughs> nice nice chances working into the box. Um, if you look at the stats yesterday, uh, the Revs had 522 completed passes. Uh, only nine of them went inside the, attack, uh, the penalty area, nine for 19. And by comparison, Nashville was five for nine inside the penalty area. So they have a really tough time getting the ball down uh, into, you know, the uh, – the high, the high uh, percentage areas uh, that, you, that you want to get into. Um, the Revs did have 12 chances created, um, but only two big chances created. All these stats by StatZone, by the way. So, yeah, th- there were not a lot of exciting plays from the Revolution, and it really stalled out. And um, you mentioned, Sean, that in, in, in previous years, the Revs have, um, you know, done well with the counterattacking style, but when teams, you know, Park the bus, they have a real tough time breaking it down. So um, those struggles continue, uh, even with Lee Wynn fully integrated into this offense. Yeah, and, and I think just, you know, again, looking at this game, um, Joe Willis has gotten a ton of praise, um, you know, in the aftermath of this game from the Revolution announcers and from others. But I don't, I don't think he had that difficult of a night. I honestly think Matt Turner's kind of double save off that deflected set piece was the most difficult save of the night. You know, five saves from Joe Willis, but, you know, maybe two of them required some level of difficulty. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say they were easy breezy saves, though. I mean, there were, there were Tayon save uh, that that was from outside the box. That was a nice shot. Yeah, but if if a goalkeeper misses that, it's a you know goalkeeper. Yeah, save. oh yeah, it's not great, but it, it's not yeah. a you know. I mean, 
if you look at the stats and it says, you know, expected goals in this game were, you know, the Revs had 2.11 expected goals uh, versus Nashville's 0.12 expected goals. I, I do think that stat's a little misleading. I don't think Joe Willis had a, you know, prevented two goals yesterday, but I, I certainly think that a weaker goalkeeper uh, would let in would let in one goal here or there. I, I certainly could see the Revs scoring on a inferior goalkeeper. Well, that, that's the thing, too, with the expected goal stat is, and I think, you know, Ben Bear used that as a reason to say Joe Willis had a great game. Um, expected goals are, you know, based on the position the shot's coming in. They don't necessarily take into account whether the shot was terrible. So it's not always just about the goalkeeper. I, I think I think Willis deserves a little bit of credit. I don't think he's, you know, deserves to be on MLS Team of the Week, which he might be because Optiscores are very flawed. So I, I, can we meet in the middle there a little bit, Sean? Oh yeah, no, no, sure. I just think the the praise for him was a bit over the top because I, you know, I think he had two or three good saves and then you know shots that were just right at him and pretty easy it was not tim howard versus belgium no chris thank you for uh listening to me and sean argue for the last five minutes uh are you, on a level of uh, one to ten chris how concerned are you about this offense and you know are you slamming the pat- panic button after this zero zero draw last night or, or do you still think that they'll uh, come through and yesterday was a blip on the radar i think that there's a little bit of worry obviously a you got when not making much happen in yesterday's game obviously he's been doing stuff in the previous two games but this particular game he seemed to be shut down completely and if everybody else looks at what nashville did to him yesterday we're gonna have problems and beyond that i I think your issues with bo um bo is gotta make sure he's putting all of those shots that he's taking at least you know we'll give him like 60 percent on target would be nice <laughs> yeah it's it's always fun to see the revs tweet out that he leads the league in shots and he's second or third in shots on target and there's such a big disparity between the shots on target number and the the shots number but um hey that's the type of player gustavo bow is you know i mean he 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 certainly believes you miss 100 percent of the shots you don't take and whew, boy he he takes some uh long range shots although i don't think he had many yesterday i think he only had two, oh no he had four shots two on target so uh all things considered a, a good day for gustavo bow yesterday yeah. Zero offsides. <laughs> that is a positive. Which, which, which I think is more of a product of the fact that Nashville had players sitting so far back, it would have been pretty hard to be offsides. <laughs> Though, Chris, you did bring up a really good point about Lee Wynn, and he was a little bit invisible yesterday. I, I thought he made a couple of nice passes yesterday um, at the beginning of the game, but um, he had one shot that wasn't on target, one key pass. He was 25 for 30 on passing sets, 83%. He only had 43 touches through 62 minutes. If you look at his who scored rating, uh, it's a 6.35. So really not very effective overall in the game. Sean, I mean, are you a little concerned? One, one thing that I'm really concerned about, and, and I'll kick it over to you in a second, Sean, but this guy is supposed to come in and revitalize your offense. He has had some moments where he's looked pretty good, but and certainly on set basis, he's looked a little bit dangerous. But we're going to be going to two games a week, and Lee Wynn, I mean, let's be honest, I, I'm not sure he's a 90-minute player. He comes off yesterday in the 62nd minute, and the Revs' offense uh, you know, kind of takes a step back after that. Um, are you a little concerned about Lee Wynn, uh, both in terms of maybe we kind of jumped the gun a little bit uh, the past few weeks about his effectiveness and whether or not he can go 90 minutes anymore uh, consistently game in and game out? Yeah, I mean, I don't think I ever thought he was going to be able to go 90 minutes um, on a sat- on a Sunday or a Saturday and then a Wednesday and then again the next weekend. Um, I, my guess is that in this game they pulled him off in the 62nd minute because they planned to start him uh, midweek and that this was a, you know an intended substitution to make sure he had enough in him to do that. Um, because I think if you, you know, they did it once already where he went you know close to 90 minutes and not played midweek. Um, I don't think you can do that all the time. Um, so my guess is that that's what that was. Uh, I don't. I think anyone that expected him at 33 years old to be, you know, a guy that could do 90 minutes three times in a week it was it was kidding themselves. Um, but on the other question, uh, you know, whether or not we, you know, kind of hyped him up too much or thought too much based on the the past two games, I am a little bit concerned about that. Um, you know, he he raised the bar tremendously on the prior two games where he, you know, was at five or, or and seven key passes in those two games, uh, which was really impressive and was almost, you know, Carlos heel like numbers and and key passes. Um, so I think, you know. After seeing that, we started to think that this maybe could be, you know, a lee win of, you know, years past where it creates so many chances and be the Revs offensive catalyst and would kind of carry this offense if Gustavo Bo wasn't wasn't pulling the strings. Um, but 
you know, we saw a lot less of that against Nashville. There was, you know, very few defense-splitting passes that led to great chances from Lee Wynn. Um, you, you can't expect him to be that guy every game, but I, I certainly think, you know, as Chris said, you know, what Nashville did against Lee was very effective um, and, and could be a formula for for players in other games to try to stop him. So um, with the extra pressure that and extra coverage that they paid to Lee Wynn, uh, they did very well. So, um, yeah, I think there's a little bit of cause for concern. I think Lee Wynn will have to find a way to adapt. I think his, his set pieces in this game didn't necessarily connect as well as they did in other games, and part of that was because of you know Nashville putting more guys back and more bodies to defend them. Um, but, yeah, this game is a little bit concerning for Lee Wynn. You know, I think he's probably going to go 60 minutes again on Wednesday, um, and the Revolution are going to need him to do a bit more offensively if they're going to score a goal. Well, it should be noted that his one chance created was from a set play, uh, and I don't recall it. It seems like it was maybe he passed to Bo, uh, but it looks like it's a pass back uh, that led to a shot. So um, not a very effective night from Lee Wynn either last night. Chris, before we move on to uh, Gustavo Bo, because I want to complain about him a little bit, and you kind of led into that a second ago. But uh, Chris, do you have any thoughts about Lee Wynn going forward? Another kind of important thing that I think we'd like to get out of him because he did it previously in the past is actually score goals himself. Um, and I think it's actually having to bounce off of other players, and we don't have that kind of forward-thinking, tiki-taka kind of play where they they actually get that going through the middle, so he, he, he doesn't have that ability to be in places to score goals. Yeah, the impact in recent games has been through Taeyeon, and it's been through Christian Pania, and um, it seems like they've, they've really just continued to uh, kind of force the ball down the wings, even with Lee Wynn. Uh, kind of coming back so um, yeah it, it, interesting and I, I certainly thought by now he'd at least get that one assist to put him at the 50-50 mark but uh, we're still waiting on it did want to quickly complain about Gustavo Bo because a lot of people are very frustrated with him Chris you kind of led into it that you know he takes a lot of shots that are from the uh, you know from from Mansfield basically uh, he had four shots yesterday two of them were on target one was blocked uh, one was a big chance but uh, that I think was the shot that he uh, absolutely skied over the bar and that he should have done a lot better on so the one shot he didn't get on target was pretty disappointing 21 for 28 passing 75 percent completion uh, rate one for two in the uh, penalty area 14 for 20 overall however if you look at his bad touches if you look at um, who scored uh, bad touches rating he had five bad touches which was the highest in the game along with teal bunbury he was three for eight on take-ons according to stat zone pretty rough game for gustavo Bo. sean i'll, I'll go to you and uh, you know what, what will it take to get this guy going I, I know he scored a few times in the past couple of games uh, things have gotten a little bit better for gustavo Bo, but he seems to be not completely comfortable uh in in that kind of striker you know I don't even know what you call it, uh, but since moving up to striker, he's still kind of come into the midfield, uh, and he's still having a rough time with his ball possession and moving the ball. So am I overreacting here, or are you a little concerned about Gustavo Bo? No, I mean, I, I was a little bit concerned about him earlier in the season, and I think the hope was that, um, you know, getting some more goals, getting goals in each of the, the last two games prior to this would rebuild his confidence um, and kind of get him off that that edge and get him back um, to the to the quality finisher that we saw from him last year. There's just been too many times this season where he's had good chances, uh, and you know the sharpness wasn't there. Um, and I think that was certainly the case in this game. Uh, you know, my my theory was a couple goals would would change that and get him back to normal. But I don't think, based on what we saw against Nashville, that was necessarily the case. So um, I think there's absolutely cause for concern. And to be honest, I don't I don't know what it's going to take to get him back to you know the Gustavo Bo we saw last season. Um, it, you know, if, if two goals in a row didn't do it. Um, then I, I don't know what it is going to take. Uh, certainly, it's you know not an issue of having not played enough matches at this point. The Revolution have been back for you know plenty of games. He's, the match sharpener should be back, um, but I think the finishing touch from him is 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 still lacking this season. And I don't I don't know what it's going to take to fix it if if two goals and building up his confidence didn't. Yeah, and I, I think the way you can summarize his night was, uh, you know, the Rebs are pushing forward in stoppage time, and Brad Feldman says they need to play c- clean on this attack or something like that. And right as he says that, uh, yep. Gustavo Bo has a heavy, heavy touch right to the uh, Nashville defender, and well, he kind of says something like, well, they weren't, you know. And so uh, that, that really just summarized Gustavo Bo's uh, frustrating night. And Although I do think he looked gas at the end, and I think he's been a guy that, you know, has needed more rest than he's gotten. Ooh, well, I, you know what? We're going to jump ahead to a listener question because that is a great play into a question we got from Mike Kennedy. He says, uh, why did Bruce keep Gustavo Bo on? He should have moved Tayon into his role once Diego comes on. Bo seems really gassed in the last 20 minutes. 
should have taken him off, given the quick turnaround against Toronto FC on Wednesday. You kind of, you, you seem to think that Gustavo Bo is a little uh, gassed as well, Sean. Chris, I'll go to you. Are you second-guessing Bruce's decision to have uh, Gustavo Bo go all 90 minutes? Yeah, definitely if if you're going to continue to most likely use him in, in the game on Wednesday. Um, why wouldn't you do the similar thing with that you do with when? Because sometimes I think Bo just overexerts himself throughout the game. He gets frustrated, and then he just gets into his own head, and then he just overexerts and overexerts and gets to the point where he, he just, you guys said, he's gassed. He, he's just out of out of it i i actually said to somebody earlier um i i think honestly you you need to take bow off much earlier in this match and sometimes when he has those you know gets frustrated and as i said overexerts himself that leads to uh, a pass or a shot that he's forcing um and doesn't seem to end very well i I know we're kind of making these criticisms a week after he scored in the 85th minute uh but we we have seen sometimes where he tries to be a little bit more involved than he should be and should let the game come to him a little bit. So uh, with that being said, uh, we did get a, another question that we'll, we'll go into another question, question since it kind of leads into this one, but TSB 11 on discord asks us, Bruce tends to make uh, starting 11 changes based on the quality of the results. Do we think, uh, or, or do you think we see some tinkering ahead of the next game? Uh, Sean, I'm going to come to you in a second, but I want to just also add the caveat that some people were surprised Adam Buxa uh, and Christian Pena did not start in this game after Adam Buxa had a goal and Christian Pena had two assists in the previous game against DC United. It should also be noted that Adam Buxa has not started in the last four games. Uh, he's come off the bench and is Played, he's played 27 minutes last night. That's the most he's played since the 2-1 uh, Philadelphia Union loss on September 13th. So, Sean, it's a good point that he's making. We do see lineups based on previous results. Do you see some changes going into the TFC game? A, a couple of points. The, the first one's kind of going back a bit, is, and that's the comment where you're talking about Gustavo Bowen, whether he should be subbed off earlier. I, I still go back to that comment um, during the MLS's back tournament where somebody asked, you know, you have five subs. Why aren't you making these subs earlier? Um, you know, why aren't you bringing on, you know, Tejan Buchanan or an offensive player earlier in, in that game? Um, you know, one of the games of the revolution, we're searching a goal. And, and Bruce's response was essentially, well, if I was going to add offensive firepower, I was going to have to take off either Gustavo Bo, Christian Pania or Adam Buxa. And you don't want to sub those guys and you're looking for a goal. And it's just funny now that we've ended up with Christian Pania and Adam Buxa on the bench, you know, not that long after Bruce Arena made that comment. Uh, and now, you know, Gustavo Bo still seems to be an unsubbable guy. Um, so it, it, Bruce Arena seems to be, you know, pretty stubborn about not wanting to take his best guys off the field when they're looking for a goal. And I, you know, to some extent, I understand that Gustavo Bo, you know, is the you know, probably the one player on the Revolution team that can create when he's at his best can create something out of nothing and kind of you know get that ball forty yards from goal and and turn and and make a goal out of nothing by himself. Um, we haven't been seeing that a lot lately, but he is a guy that's capable of doing that when he's at his best. So I get that. Uh, but you know, at the same time, when you're playing all these midweek games, um, it, it makes sense, especially when Gustavo Bo, you know, looks gas and isn't necessarily having the best game to, to think about pulling him off earlier, uh, saving his legs and, and getting somebody else to, out there that might be more effective. Now, you know, whether based on this game, we're going to see changes on Wednesday. Um, you know, I think maybe there'll be some rotation. Uh, you know, maybe Teal Bunbury gets a rest. Maybe Christian Pania goes in. Um, you know, whether Adam Buxa goes in, I, I don't think we're going to see a, a formation shift. Um, you know, despite what I said about the offensive stru- the offense struggling, I do think that this formation has been more effective for the Revolution than what we were seeing earlier in the season. I don't think Adam Buxa is going to come in. You know, Adam Buxa played close to 30 minutes in this game, and I thought he was pretty invisible. Um, you know, and going back to the game before that, where he scored that goal, you know, he didn't do much else. He was. It's harsh to say, well, well, he just scored one goal, but he wasn't on for very long. And when he did come on, the goal he scored was a product of DC United being down a goal in the 90th minute, pushing everybody up in a quick counterattack uh, that led to Adam Buxa being in a lot of space and you know having a phenomenal finish, a great chip. He deserves all the credit in the world for that. Uh, but he had the kind of space you're not going to get generally at the start of a game. So if Adam Buxa starts the game this week. I don't think it necessarily changes anything for the revolution. I saw a lot of people saying, oh, maybe he uses big body and his physicality to kind of break down Nashville's defense. But we haven't seen that this season. And there was nothing in the 30 minutes that I saw from him in this game that that showed me that either. Um, so I don't think it makes sense to bring Adam Buxa on. I don't think Adam Buxa, you know, really did himself any favors in this game with his, with his 30 minutes. I thought he was, you know, largely invisible and, you know, the least effective sub of anyone the revolution brought on. Um, if there is going to be a change, I think maybe you give Pania another shot 
um, at left mid for Bunbury and, and kind of rotate there. Um, you know, my assumption is Tejan Buchanan, you know, he went 90 minutes in this game, but he's 21 years old. He's probably going to recover better than other guys and be able to go Wednesday. You know, I think Lee Wynn was brought off so he can go Wednesday. Um, maybe Kellen Rowe comes in for Tommy McNamara. I honestly thought Kellen Rowe would have come into this game um, as a sub at some point and didn't. So I was surprised they didn't use that fifth sub with Kellen Rowe. Um, but or a fourth sub, really. They only used three subs in this game. They used that sub with Kellen Rowe. Um, so maybe that's another change for rotation. But I, I think we're going to see mostly the same formation. Uh, I think we're going to see the same back line, um, just maybe a couple shifts in midfield for rotation purposes. Uh, Chris, you agree with that? Sean seems to think there's going to be uh, a lot, of, not a lot of turnover uh, from this lineup. Uh, what do you think, and what do you think they do with Books and Pini against Toronto? Yeah, I, I definitely think they'll... I, I agree with Sean. Um, he's he's pretty on point. I, I think I agree with his uh, row for McNamara, most likely. Just to kind of shift it from... McNamara did enough in this game. He, he made chances. He made things happen. He was making tackles when he needed to. But I, I think it just... You, you need something else after that didn't work against Na- Nashville. But beyond that, Pania, I think you should get a start. I, he's been making chances for everybody around him. He, he still continued to do that. And, and Buxa, though, I, I don't think he gets the start. I think he continues to come in around the 40, 30 minutes left mark. Um, as, as you guys said, you know, he's not doing enough of the right things to show that he need he, he deserves to be on the field for more than that. Yeah, he doesn't really uh, move the needle. Uh, and, and certainly when you have a Nashville-type team, you want as many offensive players on the ball. So it's good to get um, Adam Books on the field. But, uh, you know, seven touches for Adam Books in 27 minutes last night. He was one for four in aerial duels, uh, which is an area that he should be excelling in. Christian Pania, and Chris, yeah, I, I'm with you on this one, that Christian Pania probably gets a, a start over, um, I, and I think Sean said this too, uh, Pania for Bunbury seems to be an obvious one in my mind. Uh, Christian Pania had another nice chance created where he had the the cross to um, Tayon Buchanan, which led to the uh, double shot from from Tayon. Uh, so he seems to be doing pretty well. I'm, I'm a little skeptical for moving Christian Pena out of that super sub role because he does seem to be so effective, giving you a, a really solid 30 minutes as opposed to um, some you know 90 minute games where he seems to completely vanish. But um, I, I think in a game. Uh, against a team like Toronto, you're, you're probably going to want to put your best offensive players out there. And I'm pretty convinced that Christian Pena is one of your better offensive players uh, on the whole. And I'm not really sure if Adam Books is one of your better offensive players uh, right now. One thing that we did touch on, though, is Kellen Rowe did not come into this game. Sean, you've already given your opinion on uh, why Kellen Rowe didn't come off. And, and Chris, you, you kind of agreed with the same thing, too. Um, I mean, Kellen Rowe... Wouldn't he have been a, a really nice sub in this game yesterday? I mean, no, no offense to Scott Caldwell and, and Tommy McNamara, but you know neither of them are exactly offensive stalwarts. Um, they played pretty well, all things considered. They held possession pretty well, all things considered. But Kellen Rowe has uh, a nice long shot. Uh, you know, he, he can hold the ball. He can pass. Uh, he seemed like someone that they could have used yesterday, no? Yeah, yeah, I, d- I definitely agree with that. We talked about it earlier. Um you know, the fact that we're not using all those subs is also a problem. You know, Rose on the bench and Rose, I think they cut to him at one point and he looked pretty upset that he wasn't on the field yet. And Rowe would be one of those ones that could, like you said, take a long shot and just make it happen sometimes. He he, he just has that ability to, you know, kind of scare teams into leaving him open because everybody, they're taking everybody else out and he's open and taking these ridiculous shots sometimes, but they, they end, up, end up in the back of the net. Yeah, I think I just just to add there, I think you both make a great point because, you know, I'm thinking about Kellen Rowe and thinking, you know, you don't lose much when you take out Tommy McNamara for Kellen Rowe. Um, so, you know, why not get on the fresh legs? But, you know, you make a great point about his long shooting ability, because when you have a team that's compact, uh, like Nashville is and is really keeping those numbers back. But one way to draw them out is to put on a guy that can, you know, threaten from distance. And we've seen him do that over his career. And we've seen him do that this year. So, um, you know, that's just another reason why it doesn't make sense to me why Kellen Rowe doesn't come into this game and uh, you know, at least give him the option out there to, to you know, take a couple of long shots and, and see if he can put something on frame. And, uh, you know, even if he doesn't score, if he threatens a bit, you force Nashville to, to pull out a bit more and, and, you know, kind of close down guys sooner. 
uh, real quick, I, I in my mind, I would have taken off uh, Scott Caldwell because I think Tommy McNamara uh, still adds a little bit more offensively than, than Scott Caldwell. I know Scott Caldwell can hold the ball and, and is really good in possession. And if we're going off of who score ratings, Scott Caldwell was actually the man of the match yesterday. He had a 7.69 who scored rating, which is the highest on the team. Brandon By was at 7.63. Uh, Tayon Buchanan was at 7.52. Uh, and then like Henry Kessler was at 7.49. And then everyone else is, uh, well, Farrell's at 7.3. Everyone else is below seven, but uh, I, I was a little surprised to see Caldwell up there uh, with that high of a rating, and he had a really, really nice game against DC United. I think he was the man of the match for that game uh, as well. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I, I might be in the minority here where you, you, you're taking off Scott Caldwell, who's played very well over the, in, in recent games, but um, I, I think Kellen Rowe adds so much more offensively than Scott Caldwell, and it's not like Kellen Rowe is you know, a liability in possession or anything like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not sure why Bruce didn't use his final two subs. Um, and, and as a lot of people pointed out, and as you pointed out in the post-game press conference, Sean, um, the Revs were missing a person on the bench. Uh, and, and Bruce said that um, they used everyone who's physically able to go uh, yesterday. So obviously no Polster and Bootner, but um, Kakuta Mene and Jeff Caldwell also apparently are dealing with injuries. So I just want to kind of squeeze that in real quick. But um Getting back to Kellen Rowe, it, it's really a head-scratcher to why we're not using all all five of our subs, especially when we have so much fixture congestion um, coming up. So real quick before we get going, it is a shout-out. We do have to say some positive things about uh, – well, we don't need to go in to talk about Matt Turner that much because he made that great save on a near-own goal. Uh, outside of that, I don't think we have to go really talk too, too much about uh, Matt Turner. But I do want to talk about the defense a little bit. Very, very solid once again. Three clean sheets in the last four games. The only goal they've conceded over the last four games was a last-minute goal to Montreal that really they just kind of fell asleep on. One thing I do want to note, as I mentioned, Alexander Boutner is out with an injury. Dewan Jones has filled in nicely over the past two games at left back. I feel like we have this discussion every few months or so, but I'll go to you first, Sean. Um, Dewan Jones versus Alexander Boutner. Um, you know, it seems like it's a bit of a competition right now. Bootner has had it for most of the season while he's been healthy, but Dewan Jones has been doing himself some favors over the last few games. Where, where do you think the left back position stands and, and who do you favor? At yeah, this point? I mean, I think they offer two very different, you know, types of left backs. Um, and I think that if both of them were healthy, I, you know, it would make sense for the revolution to kind of use them based on matchups. Um, I don't think Alexander Bootner, you know, we talk about Lee Wynn being a guy that can't go 90 minutes, you know, three games in a week. I definitely don't think Alexander Bootner can go three games, 90 minutes um, in, in one week either. So, you know, when he does get healthy, it seems to me like a, a rotation would make sense. And you, you look at the Nashville game. Um, I think Dewan Jones had a pretty good game. I think Dewan Jones has been playing well. But I actually think that was a game where Alexander Bootner, you know, and his ability to kind of get down and, and send in a good cross with his left foot. Uh, might have benefited the revolution um, where, you know, Dewan Jones is the guy that, you know, offers more pace and can kind of cut inside. Uh, I do think that Alexander Bootner, especially when Buxa came on, you know, would have been a guy that could have benefited the revolution with his crossing ability. So um, nothing against Dewan Jones. I think he's been playing really well. And I think when you're, you know, maybe going up against a, a speedier winger and being pinned back that it's helpful to have Jones to kind of use his pace to be there on both sides of the ball and not get caught forward because Bootner is not somebody that can, you know, run back as fast as Jones can. Um, but in a game where, you know, you're really uh, pinning the other team back, I think it would have helped to have Bootner's crossing ability and, and kind of threat there. Um, and the revolution were missing that. And I do think he's a guy that's pretty solid defensively against most um, attacking winner wingers, but you know, some of the speedier guys that might, might be where it helps to have Dewan Jones out there. So, I, you know, I wouldn't be opposed to the revolution, you know, kind of sp- having a timeshare 50, 50 between those two guys and, you know, going based off of matchups, um, especially with this crazy schedule. Yeah. Uh, I'm actually with Sean. Um, Dewan Jones definitely played a great game and actually Going off of one of Sean's points, him being a faster one, he actually matched up with their Jones. I'm not remembering his first name. Derek Jones? Yes, Derek Jones. Yeah, Derek Jones, Jones he's very speedy himself. So Jones and Jones actually matched up a couple times throughout the game, and he was able to keep right up with them, and it, it was actually a good matchup. I do agree also with the fact that Butner might be a little bit more of an attacking uh, help. He he would have like he's like Sean said some great crosses in there. Um, but I don't think Bootner just gets kicked out of the the spot. I think that they will end up sharing it, and especially with the short amount of time between between games going ahead, uh, I, I think it'll be tough to say that one will get it over the other. Um, I, I think it's more likely that they they do share it. 
Yeah, and, and they might go matchup by matchup, but it'll be interesting to see how they implement them going down the line because um, Dewan is, as I, I think they both played pretty decently. I think Bootner hasn't lived up to expectations as a TAM signing. They, they, as you say, they both give uh, two very different things, and um, especially if Adam Buxa comes back into the lineup a little bit more and more, I think you're going to want Bootner's crossing ability. I'm not sold that Dewan Jones can cross the ball. He was 0-4 on crosses yesterday. I'd have to go and look up his crossing percentage, but I, I, I don't think it's very high. Um, he's also not left-footed, so I think uh, we can give a give him a break on that one there. So let's go into some listener questions. Uh, we did get a question from Hank on Twitter. How many times did Bo give away the ball? Seems to be a recurring problem. We did kind of address that one already. I, I, I've got five bad touches down from uh, Gustavo Bo, but um, seems endless in the, the amount of times he's turned it over. So um, I'll check that one off. Um, David Civilian asks us about Tayon Buchanan. Uh, says Tayon has played really well the last three, four games. Where would you rank him on the team? Don't include Carly's heel. Um, I, this might be a bit of a tedious exercise naming <laughs> a bunch of players, but uh, maybe we'll give a, you know, would it, let's reframe it here. Is Tayon Buchanan a top 10 player on the team uh, or a role, you know, consistent starter in, in you guys' mind? Um, Chris, I'll, I'll go with you. Is, is Tayon a solid uh, starter slash top 10 player on this revolution team? I think he's one of the uh, climbing up the ladders. He's, I could say he's in top 10 now. Um, at the beginning of the season, obviously, I, I don't think you even would have put him anywhere. Um, I think he's making his way into the top of 10. I'd put him around like an eight. I think if he continues the way he's playing right now, I think he can move into the top five easily just by making the chances, making everything happen. Obviously, we, we want that to happen for everybody. So if he's starting to do it and then Buxa comes in can start doing it again and Bo actually gets shots on goal and all of it's happening all at once we're, we're gonna score goals it's gonna happen so you have to kind of hold on to the thought that maybe he can climb in Sean how about you guys I'm, I'm actually kind of writing down some names here in a second so we'll go over this in a second but I'll, I'll constant starter Tayon Buchanan slash top 10 what are your thoughts yeah, I mean, I mostly agree with that assessment. I think if you look at the last game where you could argue he was, you know, the best offensive player on the pitch, um, it might skew your your view right now. And he's just been constantly rising. So, you know, if if that trend continues, um, you know, it's crazy to say it, but maybe he could find his way into that top five. You know, right now, I'm not ready to say that. Um, I think he's, you know, a, a top 10 guy. He's found his way into the top 10. Um, and, and could continue to rise. But, you know, you need to see it for more than three or four games to to really move him up even further. Um, he's definitely a consistent starter now, which is, you know, would have been crazy to say a month ago. Um, so that alone is a, is a, you know, huge thing to to go with. But, um, you know, I'm sure you're going to name off some names. If You know, looking down the list, I, I, I couldn't put him in the top five yet. Um, and, you know, I'd probably put him towards the bottom of the top ten. Um, but with that said, the, the trajectory he's on, if he continues it, um, and if certainly if he becomes a better finisher and starts putting away his chances, I, I don't think it's unfair to, to say he could find his way into that top five, which you know would be an incredible thing for the Revolution to get um, out of a, out of a draft pick from a couple from a year ago. Here's my uh, list: Turner, Bo, Kessler, Farrell. I would say we'd all rank above Taylor, correct? And this is leaving off Hill. Yeah, we're leaving off Carlos Hill. And, and I'm going to, for the sake of this conversation, I'll leave off Caicedo too. We're, we're just doing active players with the revs. I'd put, I'd put okay. by above Tayon. Is that fair? Because he's played every single game. He's played pretty yeah. well. I know some people don't like him, but I I, I think by has kind of earned his uh, worth here. So I'd put by there. And then uh, who in the midfield do we have is more valuable than Tayon? I mean, are we putting Scott Caldwell or Polster? Or, I'd put Polster there, right? I'd put Caldwell and Polster there. Did you say Lee Wynn already? I'd, I'd put him there still. Um, I, I, I mean, I think, yeah, I, I'd go with that. I think Tommy McNamara, you, you still um, might be able to put ahead of, of Tejan. I think it's that's a you know a tough call at this point. Tejan has been playing better, but if you you know you look at over a career and again, it's 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 tough judging a guy based off of you know a guy who just had his four best games of his career, uh, judging him based off of that. Um, and just assuming he's going to stay there, you know, the hope is that he continues to rise. But I think, you know, if you're you know, really being honest with yourself, you might put Tommy McNamara above him right now, too. We're putting Teal above him. You know, again, I, I, I would. But if I'm basing it based on the last four games, you know, Tejan's clearly ahead of him. I just I just have trouble making that leap based on four games. And uh, I don't think we're putting Buxa above. I don't think we're putting Buxa above him. 
no offense, Adam, but I don't. I mean, I, I think Teal's shown us more than Buxa, so I think that's fair. So, I, I we're we're around that ten ish mark, which is kind of yeah, just kind of off the cusp. I'm making sure I don't see anyone. But Turner, Bow, Kessler, Farrell, By, Polster, Caldwell, Win. Uh, I put above them, and then you know that McNamara, Teal, oh Pania. Yeah, I I I mean again, <laughs> over the body of work, I, it's it's borderline. For me on that one because he has really tailed off so he's a border years. borderline top yeah. 10 player i think that's a fair assessment but it's i mean I, i'm looking at it right now i'm just kind of it's it's kind of interesting to do it based on this uh measurement if you were to do a draft you know who are you taking above buchanan um it's a bit interesting so yeah I, i've got him down in the nine to that's a question of whether it's a dynasty draft or a one season draft right <laughs> <laughs> yeah that that is true that is true Okay, well, uh, that probably was terrible radio for all of our listeners. Cameron asks us, was this game an oddity due to Nashville's extreme defensive tactics, or is it a bad sign about this team? Um, and actually, we got a question last week from TSB11. I think it came in after we were we, we were done recording. I didn't see it until this week, but um, it was after the DC win. He says, is the better quality of play among Zerv's players a result of the roster getting deeper uh, or recent scheduling bias, as in DC and Montreal being bad teams? Uh, so... I'm going to kind of combine these into one and we can kind of focus on the Nashville game a little bit, but um, do you think recent results uh, are a good indication of the revolution? Uh, and is this team actually getting better um, or have the the revs, you know, are they still a bit of a, you know, average to mediocre team that beats up on the bad teams and struggles uh, against the better teams or when teams are bunkering down? Um, Chris, uh, I'll, I'll go to you. Uh, do you think the revs are for real? Uh, do you think they're a pretty strong team with promise or do you think it's a bit fluky? I think they show bright spots of being the team that has promise. Um, I, I think they can show a little bit more. Obviously, in games like Nashville, when a team bunkered down, they weren't able to make breakthrough, and that's because of them going to the wings as often as they do. You know, they they can't break through the middle in, in a game like that. So it, it, it's tough to kind of look at that and say that I, they they. they they're going in a positive direction with those past few games, but as they mentioned, uh, the two teams that we played that we beat up on were weaker teams. Nashville was supposed to be a weaker team, but with the bunkering down, they became a little bit stronger of a team. Um, our defense is just, was a great matchup against them, so it, it, it kind of worked out in our favor where their attack wasn't strong enough to beat us down either. Um, but our attack should have been strong enough to beat theirs. Do you think, uh, does this game against Nashville, does it give you, I mean, two or three weeks ago, Sean and I were panicking about this offense. Does this kind of bring back, uh, you know, these, uh, you know, as I say, slam the panic button or, or, and I guess Sean kind of let it let off with this at the beginning of the episode, but um, are are you confident that this was a blip on the radar or, uh, you know, do you think this team's going to pick it up over the next few games against NYCFC and, and uh, TFC offensively? I think I think they can make it happen. TFC and NYCFC aren't teams that are bunkering down. They're, you know, they tend to try and go with the high line and, you know, counterattacks and stuff like that. So w- when you're going to look at a team like the Revs, who actually can do that well and, you know, has the fast players on the wing. I th- I think they can make it happen against these teams. I, obviously, the negatives are worrisome, uh, where we can't make a a goal happen out of you know as many shots as as we got. But I, I think going forward, I think we can make make it happen. Yeah, I mean, I think both of those are questions where if you're you know a, a snide Twitter reply, it would just be yes because I think <laughs> yeah I think I think it's a little bit of all of that. Um, and, you know, they have been playing a really easy schedule. It's been a product, you know, in, in some ways their success in the past few games has absolutely been, you know, a product of the fact that they're playing, you know, we're playing a Montreal team, you know, that's not a good team. They're playing a DC United team that's in shambles. Um, they're playing a New York City FC team that's a good team, but was missing, you know, Max Morales, who's one of the guys that kind of pulls the strings for them in midfield. That's a, that's a big loss um, for New York City FC to be without him. Um, so, 
yes, the Revolution have absolutely improved. They've gotten better. It's nice to see them be able to be a possession team and, and play in possession. It's nice to see um, them create some chances in possession, even if they're not always finishing them. Um, but they they were playing a very easy schedule. Um, so you know, we've said this before, but now they have you know some difficult games. I don't know. The MLS injury reports are basically useless this year. Um, but if Toronto FC is, is relatively healthy, that'll be a game that could tell us a lot about this Revolution team. Um, like Chris said, they're not a team that's going to sit back. Assuming they're healthy, they're not a team that's going to sit back and, and bunker down and play for a draw, even coming to Gillette Stadium, which, you know, is a good thing for the Revolution offense. I think the Revolution should have more chances or more, you know, open chances against them. Um, at the same time, you know, when you talk about these other teams and how bad they are, um, some of that's reflected in how good the Revolution's defensive performances have been, too. You know, are they going to be able to get a shutout against Toronto FC, you know, if they're a, a healthy Toronto team? Um, so that's going to be interesting to see. I think there's more openings for the Revolution offense, but there's going to be a lot more work for the Revolution defense. Um, and if, again, if New York City FC, um, going back to Yankee Stadium and that compact pitch, if they you know, get back to the style that's good for that pitch and they're healthy, I think that's going to be another very difficult game for the Revolution. So I, I don't think it's an illusion that the Revolution have gotten better. Um, they have. But we also haven't seen them against a good team. Um, and there's the potential to see them against two good teams coming up. And, yes, they already played New York City FC, but it wasn't a you know completely healthy New York City FC team. Um, and they just dropped that game at home. So uh, you know, let's see what happens these next two games before we really judge this Revolution team. I, I, think, I think they're better, um, but I'd like to see them prove it against better teams. And the Revs yesterday with uh, NYCFC winning against Inter-Miami, they've fallen to sixth place now. They've moved from fifth to sixth. Uh, they sit with 22 points at the table. That's 1.47 points per game. You know, that's pretty average. You know, and I, I think that's a, a fair uh, ranking of where the, the Revs sit. They play NYCFC uh, next Sunday. They're, they're, they've moved into fifth place with 23 points, and Toronto FC is obviously up at second. Um, they're tied with Columbus, actually, for first in points uh, with 31 points. So these are two very, very uh, good games going into uh, next weekend. Um, that wraps us up here today. Um Sean, where can people find you on social media? You can find me on Twitter at Sean Aldonahue. And uh, Chris, where can our listeners find you on social media? I'm at Creighton C11. I'm not going to spell that out. You can find me. <laughs> and you, you also, I, I do want to point out, too, that you are writing for BelieveInBostonSports.com, which I, I think you're the first Revs writer for that website. Is that correct? Uh, actually, there was a previous one. Uh, Matt Bluestein used Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I, I'm at kind of taking over he's still a part of things so he's he's still gonna pop things out here and there i think he went back to school so he's he's gonna he'll, he'll pop back in things there yeah real, real life uh takes priority sometimes but um it, i also want to point out too that you are doing a lot of good revs 2 coverage uh which we don't do because uh you know real life gets in the way i'm not able to watch all the games uh so uh, you know I, I i know a lot of people are looking for revs 2 coverage and i would say that uh they definitely should follow uh at believe, believe in boston sports on twitter and also follow you on twitter because uh, you got them covered and also i want to point out that you had a uh, interview with justin rennox last week that everyone should go check out i thought that was a very good piece so if you're interested in Revs 2 coverage and going beyond just the first team, uh, I'd say Chris is a must-follow. So uh, you can follow us at Revolution Recap and also like our Revolution Recap page on Facebook. Uh, also, please be sure to rate and review our podcast on iTunes or wherever you are listening. Uh, the Revs host TFC on Wednesday, and then we'll travel to Yankee Stadium for a matchup against NYCFC next Sunday afternoon. We should be back next weekend with a new episode following the NYCFC game. But until then, thank you everyone for listening and go Revs.